of the joint statement from last week, your mind is probably racing and you're saying, now what? <laughs> now what? what? What on earth has God gotten us into now? And so uh, the leadership has asked um, and uh, planned to have a series of messages to help prepare us and walk us through uh, to the several steps that we need to go through to prepare ourselves. And so uh, this marks the first message in the, from the book of Nehemiah that we will have in a series of messages that will be coming forth in the next several months. And so we ask you to come and join us as we learn together how God uh, rallies his people and how he prepares his people and calls his people. One of my favorite examples is in 1845 in the First Baptist Church of Augusta, Georgia in the United States, there was placed a plaque. And this plaque was important because it was uh, honoring the men who had founded the Southern Baptist Convention of the United States. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention, of course, was uh, actually part of the effort that helped plant GBC many, many years ago. Uh, And so we're so thankful to them. Now, the plaque on the, on the plaque are the words that describe the founders. And it says, men who see the invisible, hear the inaudible, believe the incredible, and think the unthinkable. Now, <laughs> that is quite a mouthful, but what a description of these founding fathers. These men heard and heeded the call of God to form a committed band of Christians who would carry the gospel to every corner of the world, building not only churches, but orphanages, hospitals, and schools along the way. And that's exactly what they did in the early years of this great convention. They were humble men who heard the call of God and depended on Almighty God for the strength, wisdom, and resources to fulfill it. Now, things haven't changed that much. God is still in the business of calling people. And he's still in the business of sharing his gospel to every corner of the world. And so today, there's a crying need for God's people to respond to God's calling and mission. And to be a people who hear and heed God's mission for their lives and have the godly character to trust God to see it fulfilled. And I hope that that's what God is doing here at GBC. Whether building or no building, there's something else that God is singling out his people, you, 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 and me, together to go out and do something for him. Now, carrying out God's calling is not easy, and that is why the book of Nehemiah is so important to every devoted disciple of Christ. It's just like in living color, Nehemiah displays the kind of godly character every believer must have to face the challenges that come with doing God's work. God's work is not easy, my friend. And so we need to have that character, that fortitude, that determination that is so much needed uh, to uh, see God's work through. It's the kind of person that God can use and work through. He gives us the right responses and steps in handling difficult problems and challenges that come with fulfilling God's assignment for us. And so I hope, I hope, whether it's some special mission or calling that God has placed upon your heart, that you will derive from the life of Nehemiah the sustenance that you need to carry it through. Now, to help us get started, we have to have a little bit of historical background. 
And so I'm not going to make this too long, but first of all, historically, around 600 B.C., the Jews were taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. We, we know that. That's pretty familiar. Remember Daniel and those folks? Those were part of that group, okay? And then around 539 B.C., the Babylonians were conquered by the Persian Empire, and the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland. And approximately 45,000 of them took this offer and went back. But it was a tough time, and they weren't able to do it, uh, reestablish themselves so easily as the people who had come in and taken over the land really opposed them and weren't happy about them returning. And so they really had a difficult time. But not, with, not everything was lost, because after about 20 years, they were able to rebuild the temple. They were able to rebuild the temple. And then... In 458 B.C., the prophet Ezra returned with another group of Jewish returnees. And this time, he was tasked to rebuild God's people spiritually and morally. You see, the first group was just to get in there, let's get settled down. If anything, hopefully, we get the temple back up. So there's a presence of the Lord. But the people were spiritually and morally downtrodden. And so that's when God appointed Ezra, the prophet, to come back and to rebuild the people. And then uh, an important part of the puzzle that had yet to be established was the walls around the city. Now, you might say, what's the big deal about the walls? Okay, the walls. Well, if you are a people of any significance, if you are a people at all, in that time and in that culture, walls were important. They showed, hey, we are strong. We are a people. And you mess with us, you're going to have to get through these walls, and we're going to take care of you, you know, that kind of thing. And so walls were very important for national identity. In fact, many of the empires that conquered others, the first thing they did was to tear down the walls of their cities. Why? Because they said, you are totally unprotected. You are totally at my bidding call, and I can come in there and wipe you out at any time, and don't you forget it. You see, walls were very important to the people, and the walls were in ruin. And that's when God rose up and chose Nehemiah to to return to Jerusalem to meet the needs of God's people and to restore the glory and the presence of God in the land. Okay? So what kind of person does God call to accomplish so great a task? You see, this is no small project, okay? But it was a significant project. What kind of person is God calling each of us to be to accomplish his work here on earth? You see, this is sometimes we say to ourselves, well, that person has to be this, they have to be that, they have to possess this gift and that gift, and so on. But when you look at the Bible, you are totally shocked and amazed at what God does and through whom he does it. It's amazing. It is amazing. And that's why all the glory goes to God, you see? And so as we see this happening, unfolding to us, we arrive now at the point of discovering more about God's servant, Nehemiah. Very simple message this morning, just two points, just two points. The first point is Nehemiah's calling from God. Nehemiah's calling from God. And this is found in verses 1 to 4, okay? And verse 1 tells us where he lived. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev in the tw- 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, he says. And so where did he live? He lived in the capital of the Persian Empire. 
And can you imagine what that must have been like? Here he was in this lush palace, all surrounded with all the luxury that Persia had to offer. Now, in verse 11, it tells us that he was also occupied a very high position. You might say, hi, he's a cupbearer. Now, I was the cupbearer of the king. Now, please understand, the cupbearer had a very important role, all right? Why? He tasted all the food and drink before the king got it. And so that he would guarantee that it wasn't poisoned or that there was, it had spoiled or anything like that. So this had to be a pretty trusted fellow. This had to be somebody that the, the king himself had handpicked and that he had a lot of confidence in. And so he was a cupbearer of the king. But along with that, as was the custom of the day, this person would also serve as a trusted confidant to the king. It wasn't unusual that the cupbearer had unusual gifts and that the king, if anything, he could confide in this person. And as we know, later on, as we get into the book, Nehemiah had some skills. Nehemiah had some skills. He had a brain in that skull. And so he was able to advise the king, I'm sure. And the king would probably talk to him about various things and want at least his opinion. And so he was the cupbearer, he was a confidant. Now, what's the big deal? The big deal is that Nehemiah was not a priest, he was not a prophet. He didn't come out of that line. And yet God singled him out, you see? And so what does that tell us? It tells us that God is not limited in the people he picks and where he picks them from, you see? And God has this marvelous way in which he surveys the land and he knows just the right person for the right job, you see? And so God had used Nehemiah even where he lived and then that prepared him for where he was going. Now, Nehemiah asked about the state of God's people in Jerusalem. This is found in verse 2. He was in the Susa in the capital, that Hanani. Uh, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived in the captivity at, and about Jerusalem. So he's asking about, you know, the first group that went back. He's asking about the group that went back with Ezra. He's saying, how are they doing? How are they doing? Uh, when we think about this, um, there's a, uh, why does it stand out? It stands out because Nehemiah, dared to ask. He dared to care, if you will. We live in information overload, don't we? And so we get very picky about what kind of information we want to hear. And we almost walk around with this idea that if we don't know, then we are absolved of all responsibility. We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to be concerned about this or that as long as we don't know about it. So, Nehemiah dared to care, and he asked, he asked, today, we, do we care enough to ask our ears and uh, hearts closed to only what we want to care about? I think it's one of the biggest dangers, I think, of God's people. We reach a point of comfort in our Christian lives, and we don't care anymore. We don't want to bother ourselves with the care, caring about the things that God cares about. 
It's not that God has stopped talking to us about his people and his, uh, his missions and his projects, but rather his people have stopped listening to obey or being uh, to God's voice. And we're easily being distracted, divided, and drawn into our own interests. And my friends, that is one of the things that I hope will never, ever happen to the GBC family. Yeah, we can't solve every problem in the world, but I can be a part of the solution to problems that God highlights to me. I do not want to stop listening to the voice of God. And when he speaks to me about the things that matter to him, I want to be concerned about those as well. And I want to see what part I can have. And God will lead me as to which ones to participate in. So Nehemiah lived in Susa. He asked the important questions. And then in verse 3, Nehemiah received a disturbing report. Things were not going well. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so I explained earlier about the significance of the walls, and so you understand how important that was. So the people constantly lived in fear. We could be attacked and annihilated at any time. It would be over just like that as the people around us are so much bigger, so much more powerful than we are. We have no way of protecting ourselves. But also, it says that they were under distress and reproach. What does that mean? This great distress was the threat of annihilation, but also reproach. They were ashamed and they were ridiculed. It's human nature for people to find others that they can look down upon. And the remnant, the people that had gone back to Jerusalem, they were the punching bag for all of the people that had taken over the land, you see. And they were constantly being abused and misused and looked down upon. And so, no wonder these people were morally demoralized. They just, they couldn't hold their head up. And so... When uh, Nehemiah heard that, he reacted uh, very uh, emphatically. If you look at verse 4, the first part of verse 4, Nehemiah heard and cared deeply. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. You see, it was just like it knocked him off his feet. He had to sit down. It was like, I couldn't believe it. Well, I couldn't believe what my ears were telling. I was hearing with my ears. And so he had to sit down. And then he began to weep and he began to mourn. So great was that particular need and situation that it just overwhelmed his heart. You see, he dared to care and he dared to feel what God was saying to him. Is this possible for us? Yes, it is. And Warren Wiersbe says this, uh, very wise words. He says, you never know what God has in store, even in a commonplace conversation with a friend or relative. So keep your heart open to God's providential leading. You know, it was, I was watching one of the clips from the Philippines, and so they had this person just telling their story, you know, and all the relatives they had lost, and they had nothing, nothing was left. And they, they, they barely had one little plastic bottle of water. And, you know, what was that saying to me? Yeah, there, are there other places in the world where there are people with no water, no housing, no food? Yes. But that particular interview just grabbed me. 
And I just was overwhelmed. I need to do something about this. And I'm so glad that others were of like-minded. And they came around and they said, yeah, what are we doing for the Philippines? And so this was a special, I believe, a special moment in time when uh, God is rallying people to come to their aid. And so this, he heard and he cared deeply. Is God calling you? Is there a group of people that God is putting a great burden in your heart for? Perhaps it's the students at McPherson uh, uh, Primary School. I was just there, and, and we went over, and we handed out the, the bursaries to the, to the deserving students. And uh, the, the principal, Miss Madam Rustina, she was almost in tears at the end when I said goodbye. She just said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. She has seen what this has done for the school. Are there neighbors in your neighborhood? Are there coworkers in your office? Are there classmates in your school? Do the future residents in Badari and other housing estates that are coming up around us, does it bother you? Do you care? Do you want to care? You see, God cares about these people, and we ought to also. God is giving passions and burdens to the leaders of of his people in these times and days. Together, they must work hand in hand to help each other fulfill God's call on their lives. And so this is the kind of thing that God is up to. This is what he is doing. And so he calls people out, and he called Nehemiah. He chose Nehemiah. Well, what was Nehemiah's reaction to all this? Well, look at verses 4, the last part of verse 4, and on to verse 11. Nehemiah is calling out to God. Okay? Nehemiah is calling out to God. What do you notice here about this? Is that he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Amazing. It wasn't just weeping for weeping's sake. It wasn't mourning for just mourning's sake. But he was moved to prayer. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. It's interesting that the book of Nehemiah opens in prayer, and the end of the book of Nehemiah closes in prayer, almost like a service. (laughs) You know, he opens in prayer, and all the way through... This is the first of 12 significant prayers that Nehemiah prays throughout his mission. The first of 12. So every time he was challenged, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Well, he not only was a man of prayer, but he was a man who prayed honestly, humbly, and powerfully. Honestly, humbly, and powerfully. Look at verses 5 through 11. We find different elements. Now, this is pretty interesting because this is before the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talked about prayer and stuff like that, okay? And so this is what Nehemiah did. If you look at verse 5, he starts off with adoration. He says, I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, that great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. There was adoration. There was recognition of God. Notice the titles there, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenants. Those are no small titles. Remember what I said about awesome, how it's just sort of tossed around these days? Okay. When the Bible uses awesome, it means awesome. And that's how Nehemiah saw God. So there was adoration of God. And then there was confession. Look at verses 6 through 7. It says here, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. 
which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. And so he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. And what does he pour out? Not his need, not his wants, not what he needs to have from God, but he pours out his heart and soul and says, we have sinned. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. You see? How many of us, as we pray, do we recognize our sinfulness and God's greatness? You see? No, we cut right to the chase. Thank you, God, for letting me pray. Now, here's my list. You see? He says, no, there's something that needs to be corrected here, and that is that I am a sinful person, and I have transgressed your laws. And that's exactly what he does. Do you see the honesty and the humility that's coming out? And then there was conviction. There was conviction. He had an unshakable faith that God could be trusted and would keep his promises. Look at verses 8 through 10. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to a place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Verse 10, they are your servants, your people, whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. Why did Nehemiah bother to pray to God? It was because he had unshakable confidence that this very awesome and great God is the one who would see him as redeemed people, his people, God's people, and that he would take care of them. And so this was the conviction that he had. We are your people. You have redeemed us by your great power and your strong hand. Many people wonder, after they get into a mode like this where there is just humbleness before God, could God ever really redeem me and forgive me? Is there any hope of that? Wonder no more. Wonder no more. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, comes these glorious and comforting words. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, no matter how great and how deep and how wide your sins may be, God has provided a way for you and I to be redeemed and to become his people. In 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 2, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. How was this accomplished? Speaking of Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for, I'm sorry, in the New Living Translation, it's a little bit clearer. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. It works because Jesus paid the price for your sins and mine. 
by dying on the cross for our sins. He died that we might live. He was on the cross so that we don't have to go to the cross. Understand that? Understand that? You see? And that's why it works. And so we can trust God that he will um, forgive our sins and that he will give us eternal life, which is a relationship with him. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that amazing? So no matter what your background may be, and you say to yourself, oh, I've done some horrible things. I've done some horrible things in my life. Can God ever redeem me? Make me one of his redeemed. Yes, he can because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the last part is found in verse 11. Back to Nehemiah chapter, chapter 1. In verse 11, now we find the petitions. Now we find the petitions. Here are his requests. Look at verse 11. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Look at the titles he left. Oh, Lord. I beg you, be attentive to the prayer of your servant and servants, all the, the people around me that will go with me. Make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. What man? Adaruxes. Okay? He had to go to his boss and say, can I do this? He was not, it was not in his control. But he had to have God's help to go in there and help being the mind of the, the, the king alongside God's plan. Nehemiah knew that even a mighty Gentile king's heart was under God's control. You see? And sometimes we forget that. We forget. We don't dare to believe that God can move the hearts of those around us who don't even know God. Nehemiah knew that. And he had that confidence and he went to God. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You see? Is it, is it possible that the government would allow, us, allow all churches, allow all churches to build a larger spaces upon the lands that they have? Not in my lifetime. But it happened. But it happened. God is at work, my friends. God is at work. So upon receiving God's call, Nehemiah responds by calling out to God in prayer. You see, that's one of the first things. Isn't action? It was going before the Lord, and it was praying. So what should you do now? The, 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 the mission has been, has been presented to the people, and you're the people. <laughs> I'm the people. <laughs> you, we are all people. <laughs> okay, what is the next step for us? The next step for us is to pray. It's to pray. It's not to give. It's not to beat the drum and all. It's to get quiet and go before the Lord, you see? And we have to ask ourselves some tough questions as we go through this. Has God be put before you a special mission, a special project that he wants you to be a part of? 
Have you allowed yourself to care for the things that care to God? You see? Are we helping people come to faith and grow in their faith in the Lord? You see? Let's not get too all wound up and, and, and you know, rile people up about this and that. Let's keep it simple, okay? Are we concerned about people coming to know the Lord and growing in their relationship with the Lord? Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Go, go, the only verb in the thing. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? Question, do we care about the things that God cares about? And are we allowing him to speak to us? Tough question. Number two, are you praying as you should before the Lord? Well, I pray. I give thanks to God for my food. I pray for my children as they go off to school. Pray that they pass the PSLE and the O's, the A's and Z's and Y's and all of that kind of stuff. You know, and I pray for this and I pray for that. Praise God. But are we praying like Nehemiah prayed? Okay, do we confess, confess our sins before the Lord and trust God to restore our relationship with him? Okay, Is it, do the, have we come to the point where we are revived in our soul that we love him more and want him more and want to be closer to him than evermore? Do we pray and do we cleanse our mind and heart before the Lord of all the pride and lust? We clear away all the stubbornness and selfishness that keeps us from hearing and heeding God's voice. You see, this is the kind of prayers that we ought to be praying. Okay? These are the kind of prayers we ought to be praying. Then open our heart and mind to what God may be saying to us about these special missions that may lie ahead. Number three, will God really forgive me and take me back? I have sinned so much, I have put myself ahead of him so much. God will restore you, and you can walk together with God again. How do we know that? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when, that right, when, when we are cleansed of that unrighteousness, it, it's like a blocked pipe. When that pipe is unclogged, Everything flows, you see? And that's what happens there. And God can use us again. Before anything is done for God, there has to be brokenness before God, you see? But sometimes we don't like that step. We want to just go right to the thing. And then when we get there, we feel so unhappy. We feel so unfulfilled, okay? So before anything is done for God, there has to be brokenness before God, all right? Now, Will God ever use me for his glory? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he can. If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 7, verse 14, this was a promise that was made to Solomon. And inside of this was a warning to him. And he talks about what would happen if God's people turned their back on God. But then he says, if there's, if the, there's a way back, he says in verse 14, and my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will tur- hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God turns a new page. He turns a new page for you and for me. 
and he begins to use us. How, do I, how am I so convinced that God would use great sinners, people who have really made big mistakes? Well, God used Nehemiah. <laughs> God used Nehemiah and the nation of Israel when they, went, when they went back. God used David. Remember after his terrible sins with Bathsheba and so on and so forth? God used him. He didn't build the temple, but he got everything ready for the temple. God used Paul. Remember that great persecutor? God used him, too. Remember Peter, the guy who put his foot in his mouth and his arms and legs and everything else besides? And he denied the Lord? What did God do with him? Oh, nothing. He just preached one time and 5,000 people came to know the Lord. (laughs) You know? Am I confident that God could use sinners? Yes. And he used them again. Yes. So don't throw that excuse at me. Oh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not fit to be used by the Lord. You can be if you repent, confess and repent. Hear and heed the Lord's call and then call out to him. What kind of believer does God call to carry out his work? God calls out the believer who cares about what God cares about or what he cares about. God calls out to the believer who will call out to him in prayer. Are you that kind of person God can call? Are you that kind of person? I was trying, I was struggling with all my might to figure out an ending to this message. You know, I like to leave you guys with something. You know, you may not have remembered the last 40 minutes, but maybe you'll remember this last 10 seconds, you know. It came in the song that you people picked. And it says, Greater things are yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in the city. And God might call you and me to be part of that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we truly are a people of our own mind and our own devices. But yet you saw something in us, just like you saw in Nehemiah, that you want to use us. And so now is the time for us to come before you, to see exactly what it is that you want us to do and how to do it and what lies ahead. Father, We confess before you. We have our doubts. We have our fears. We have our excuses. We have our explanations. But Lord, when all is said and done, it's still the matter. You called us. And may we call out to you in prayer, in a season of prayer that will help convince us and that will help, Lord, to move us and touch us the way that only you can. Oh, Lord, thank you for the song this morning. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in the city. In Jesus' name. Let us stand and sing together, affirming our trust and faith in God to obey what we have heard.